Our text is Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, verses 26 and 27. And aren't you so glad today when we think of the new body that we'll have in heaven? I tell you what, not all the aches and pains. And so when we get there, we last forever, you know. We'll never grow old. I can remember the uh, folks singing that when I was a little guy in church uh, about four or five years ago. and uh, But they'd sing, never grow old. And, and boy, I tell you what, they'd let it rip on that. They they loved that song. And I'd see the older folks singing that more so than the younger folks. And it, it uh, uh, didn't mean as much to me then as it does now, okay? And, and I know that, uh, boy, I tell you what, uh, I like living here. I'm going to love living up there, you know, and so that's great. Okay, our text is Luke chapter 14, verses 26 and 27. And just to kind of give you a little bit of a background of this, remember the Lord uh, was telling the parable, the man having the supper, come to this marriage feast, and uh, they sent out and a bunch of people made excuses for not coming. Like, like people make excuses not to go to church. People make excuses not to do this or do that. Well, that's basically what they got. So finally, he sends the servants back out again. He says, go out to the highways and hedges and the lanes and everywhere and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. And so we see that pleased him. And that's uh, just uh, really telling us how much it pleases the Lord that his people want to be in his house and want to hear his word and want to serve the Lord. Now, having said all of that, you get to verse 26 and he says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Let me say at the outset, and I'll say this again in a few minutes, but uh, this is speaking of discipleship. It's not talking about salvation. There are people going to be saved so as by fire. But if you're going to be a true disciple of the Lord, you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. If you're going to be a true disciple of the Lord, uh, you're going to have confidence at his appearing. It's the people that will not be a disciple that will be ashamed at his appearing. And a lot of people say, well, look, I'm, I'm, I'm moral, I'm, I'm good, just because I'm not involved, and just because I don't do this, do that, don't, don't, don't sell me down the road. Well, not, nobody's selling you down the road except yourself. You see, because the Bible tells us how to live as a Christian life. This is the point of our reconciliation, okay? All actions in life, all that we do, we must go to the Word of God and reconcile to it. Okay, and if we can't reconcile it to the word of God, then we need to question ourselves is what are we doing? Because if it won't reconcile to the word of God, we're wasting a life. So we need to reconcile our lives to the word of God. Let's have a word of prayer and we'll get started. Father, I pray now as we enter into your word today that thy spirit would make it so very clear that uh, each heart could understand whether here in the auditorium or listening by 
radio or internet. And if there's one here today that does not know that they died today, that heaven's their home, I pray that today would be the day they receive Christ as Savior in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. And let me just say one more thing before we get started here into the sermon. Our uh, website, sermonaudio.com backslash Central Baptist, or you can just go to centralbaptistocala.org. On both of those, we have the plan of salvation. And if uh, you're listening by radio or internet, I would encourage you to go to there after the sermon if you're not sure that if you died today that heaven's your home, and that will just lead you on how to know that for sure. Secondly, uh, it will come on our radio station uh, at, I believe it's 1230 today. And so if you're listening by radio right now and you're not sure you're saved, uh, listen to it. If you're on the internet, uh, go to our WTYG radio station and and you can uh, tune right into it and, and go through the plan of salvation or go to our website in here. Okay, I've said all that. And the title of our sermon today is Marital Decisions and Plans. I see the time. I know that I won't get through this entire sermon, so uh, I'll, I'll stick to page one here, okay? This is going to be something for me to do. All right. You may be witnessing a miracle today, all right, but we'll try this. And I'll therefore just be covering my first point of the sermon. I've, I've got three points. I'm a Baptist. You always have three points if you're a Baptist. So I've got the first point you're going to get this morning. But it says... Uh, our, our marital decisions, marital decisions are a lifetime decision. It's time where you give your vows. In, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses uh, 4 through 6, we read this. When thou vowest a vow unto God, defer not to pay it, for he hath no pleasure in fools. You ever promised God something, and he says, hey, uh, you say, man, I... That preacher preached, boy, it just so moved my heart. I went down and I promised God, and you're not doing it now. Well, you know, I got caught up in the emotion. I just got caught up in the moment, and I, I did that. You know, now that I look back, I didn't really mean it. God says, you're a fool. Now, you say, man, that's pretty rough to call a person a fool. God calls you a fool, you're a fool. Okay, I'm not calling anybody a fool. But I'll tell you what God says, I'm his messenger. Okay. And, and if you're going to make a vow to God and then not keep it, then you're a fool. That's what the Bible says. Now, I, I one time had somebody say, well, you know, vows were for the Old Testament. They're not for our age today. I said, they're not. No. Then um, when you got married, did you make vows? Yeah. So did you sin? I mean, vows aren't for today, and if you said not for today, then it's wrong to vow, and if it's wrong to vow, then it's a sin. You made a vow to your wife, you sin. Well, well, well you see, now that it's, you put it in that uh, kind of a setting, they change their mind about, well, that doesn't mean the same thing. Yes, it does. See, a vow is a promise. It's a life promise. It's a commitment of yourself when you give it. If your word is no good and giving your vow in marriage, then you are absolutely no good. Okay, you're the lowest of the low. And I say that without apology, okay, because this is one of the most serious words that you can give is in marriage, is your vow, okay, your promise. And when you vow, you say, for better or worse, sickness and health, rich or poor, 
That's not, that's not multiple choice, okay? You say, until death do us part. Love, honor, cherish. Till you're giving your word. No, you love, honor, cherish. You may not love, honor, and cherish as well as you should. But you do love, honor, and you cherish them. Okay, that's, you're giving your vow to do that. Okay, so he says, Better it is thou shouldest not vow than thou shouldest vow and not pay. And I've had people use that verse say, see, he's telling us not to vow. That's not what the verse says. Don't put something in there that's not there. Okay. He says it's better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Sometimes God lays things on your heart. When God laid on my heart the call to preach, it took me a long time to answer that call. But once I did, I promised God that I would. Okay, now, the only thing that's helped me to keep that vow is a good God and walking with him. If I get away from him, I'll go away from that vow. And, and so, understand that uh, when God lays a vow on your heart, many of you could stand up and give testimonies right now of things that God impressed on your heart and you followed through on it. That is a vow. Okay, that is a vow. You gave God a, a promise and you carried through on it. God laid it on your heart. That is not wrong. That is not evil, as some try to teach today. I don't know why people can't accept the Bible while they call themselves Christians. But nonetheless, he says, uh, it's better thou shouldest uh, uh, not bow than bow and not pay. Then he says in verse 6, Suffer not thy mouth to cause thy flesh to sin. Neither say thou before the angel that it was an error Wherefore should God be angry at thy voice and destroy the work of thy hands? When I do a wedding, I pretty well say the same thing. I'll say, in the face of God, before God, I'll say, before God, and in the face of these people. Okay, so they're making their vow before God. The vow, if I married you, the vow you made, you say, well, was it before you? No. I was there as a witness. I'm one of the faces. It's before God. Before God in the face of this people. I promise, I vow, I whatever. Okay? So, again, that's what it is in the idea of a vow before God. But now, I go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24. It says, Therefore man shall leave his mother and father and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. A man leaves father and mother. He cleaves to his wife. And they are one flesh. Those three things, leaving, cleaving, and one flesh, are making a marriage complete. They had uh, a betrothal in the uh, Bible days. The betrothal was like an engagement. But it wasn't consummated long after all the agreements and everything, even the promises were made until they became one flesh. So that's the idea that was involved in a marriage in the Bible, a Bible marriage, should I say. And I'm saying all that to bring us to this point. Uh, in marriage, before God, you're making a promise. But also... In coming before God, you are giving him your promise because our salvation is likened to marriage. 
In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 32, uh, we see that God is taking marriage as a picture of salvation. Now understand, salvation is not a picture of marriage. Marriage is a picture of salvation. Joseph was not Christ. He was a type of Christ. Okay? See, uh, types in the Bible, you have a type and an antitype. Joseph is the type. Okay? Jesus Christ is the antitype because he's not an antitype. He's the real thing. He's not a type. He's the real thing. He's not a type of Christ. He is Christ. He's not a type of God coming to flesh. He is God coming to flesh. See, so that's what Jesus Christ is. And so understand that when we're thinking of him, uh, we have that in our mind. So now when we come to this, this, when he talks about the church, he's talking about the individual believer. Okay. That includes a local church. That includes a, uh, people that are saved. But understand, he's talking about the individual believer. Now, keep that in mind as we go here. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Or right off the bat, says, submit to him? He's dumber than a rock. <laughs> okay. And that may well be true. But nonetheless, why'd you marry the dummy? Okay, so uh, you, you're laughing at him, aren't you, right now? Okay, I saw that, okay. Um, but you're saying, why Why do you do that? Why should you submit yourself? Because, boy, that's not what they're saying today. Media, education, everywhere you go, that's, that's almost like that's a terrible thing. It's almost an evil thing. And it is evil to the devil's side. To the devil's side, that's an evil thing. They don't want you doing what God says. But you see, ladies, in marriage, you represent a believer. Husbands, let me say this. Don't expect your wives to be as submitted to you as you are to Jesus Christ. And if your submission to Jesus Christ is so, so rotten, not very reflective of Jesus Christ, then understand that you are a hypocrite to expect your wife to have that submission that you're supposed to have to God. You're just a hypocrite. Okay? So, so you have to bring that into mind. Uh, he says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body, in verse 23. So again, the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Okay, again, he's a type. He's not Christ, but he's portraying a type of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of every believer. And so he's our head. And so, wives, you're to be submitted to your husband because of the type that you represent as a believer, and the type that he represents is Jesus Christ. That's why you have submission. Now, you and I, we still, if we're saved, we still have the sin nature. So we fail in that many times. We fail in our responsibilities that God gave us in marriage. And by the way, God designed marriage. When I said uh, leaving and cleaving in one flesh, that was God's design. That was not man's. That is God's design. So again, uh, he says there, the end of verse 23, 
and he is the savior of the body, men, you have responsibility for the protection of your wife. Okay, then verse 24, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be unto their own husbands in everything. In everything? Now, let me just make it clear. As a Christian, you're representing Jesus Christ. A wife, you represent Jesus Christ as a saved person. Jesus Christ is altogether holy. He's, he's righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. So he would never command anything unholy. Okay, so some have taken this. Look, I said in a college class under a teacher that was teaching psychology, and he went back and he used Sarah, and he said, Sarah was uh, blessed because she called her husband Abraham Lord, and she obeyed. But for some reason, the one applied the obedience only to when she said, I am your sister. And when Abraham gave in to her suggestion of adding Hagar. Okay? That was not God's will. So when a husband tells a wife, look, we're going to do drugs, we're going to get drunk, we're going to smoke pot, we're going to do whatever. No. You don't obey that because God comes first. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, Matthew chapter 10, verses 34 through 38. And there, what did he tell them? He says that Jesus Christ is a divider. You know, people don't think of Jesus Christ as a divider. Oh, he's a great unifier. No, he says he's a divider, even in the home. The father against the son, the mother against the daughter, the mother-in-law against the daughter-in-law. So he says, he's in a divider in the home. How's that? Because Christ is first. Christ is first. And so, as a result of that, we find that when you obey your husband in everything, because there's a lot of things, we don't need to buy that, honey. I'm going to buy it. Now, sweetheart, you know, those old towels, they got holes in them, but they still dry us off. We don't need new towels. Okay, so, so you got thing, you got things, well, honey, I like the dress you have. I know you've had it for 10 years, but really it looks good. And, and so there, there are differences of opinion on things like that, but really in the leadership, the husband is first. Now, you say, Pastor, you're a chauvinist. No, I'm a Baptist. Okay, but I'm a Bible believer, and that's what Jesus said. And the, Jesus, God, is never wrong. If he's ever wrong in anything, then he's not God. Why in the world are you sitting here if you can't trust him? See, he is God and he said it and it's always for your best. And some things you won't know it's best until you actually get to heaven. I mean, what are you going to do when you, uh, you look at a person that goes out, they, uh, uh, they get drunk and then they get smoking and they do all these other things and then they end up with cirrhosis of the liver and cancer and they're mad at God. God, how'd you allow this? You did it to yourself. You did it to yourself. Okay? So let's quit blaming God for our sin. He came to pay the penalty for your sin. Yours is to repent and believe the gospel. Now let's go on from there. Uh, in verse 25, he says, uh, uh, Therefore, as the church subject to Christ, uh, 
so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then verse 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That's a super love. He was willing to die for us. Husbands, he's commanding you because you're his type to be willing to die for your wife. That's how strong this commandment is. The reason it is so important for your marriage to be that way is because that's one of the ways you have of testifying to the world of showing what your relationship is to be to Jesus Christ. And so we all have that personal responsibility before God. And then he says in verse 26 that he might uh, sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Well, the word of God is used for cleansing. Be in the word of God daily. Read it and meditate on it. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Uh, that means uh, you not only make things right, but men, you try to do, you, you treat your wife because you want her to be presented the best that you can make her and that she can be working together for the glory of God. You know, my Lord is not a mean, evil Lord. He loves me. And I'm supposed to love in the same way to my wife as he loves me. And he goes on talking about uh, those things. And he gets after talking about being subjection, all this, and leaving the mother and father and cleaving to his wife. He says in verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. He says, all this talk of marriage, and many of us preachers have preached from that very passage of of uh, Ephesians chapter 5 about marriage and their responsibilities. What he's saying here, I'm speaking about salvation. The moment you receive Christ, you're making a vow that is important, really more important than the vow you made at an altar to get married. It wasn't an easy believism. Look, there are couples that move in and live together. That is still evil, by the way. That is still sin, to move in and live together without marriage. That is filthy in God's sight. It's wrong. But what I'm saying is, is that for you to treat God the same way and to say, well, I'm going to just say this. I'm going to say these words or the magic words. Jesus, come to my heart. Now I can go out and live like I want to. No. You're talking about moving in and living together. You're not talking about entering into a marriage and a relationship with Jesus Christ. See, there's a vast difference. There's a vast difference. Um, look back at our text now because this brings us right back to it. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You say, you mean hate my family? He said, even hate yourself. But you need to understand what he means by that. You see, a disciple in that day, you had the disciples of the Pharisees. You had the disciples of John the Baptist. You had the disciples of Jesus, all right? A disciple means one who is a learner, a pupil, a student of. In the New Testament, uh, it's only found in the, new, uh, in the four Gospels and the book of Acts, the word disciples itself. However, in 
Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, 19, it says, uh, 19 and 20, should say, says, uh, go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every uh, creature. And he says, teach it in Matthew. and Mark, he says, preach. Then he says, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And the idea there is the idea of make disciples out of gnats. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But uh, teach them to observe. After their baptism, you teach them to observe. Now, he says that in that passage. Well, when we think of this, the idea behind uh, a disciple in that day was that inherent uh, devotion that accepts the instruction of the teacher and governs their life based on the instructions of the teacher. In other words, the teacher tells them what to do, how to do it. Pharisees had different things they did. John the Baptist disciples went out. Jesus' disciples went out. Remember in John chapter 6, Jesus uh, told about uh, uh, the words I give, they are spirit. If you don't eat my flesh, you don't eat my blood. And they thought, physical flesh? Human blood? Yuck. Well, he said, the words I speak are spirit. But many of those disciples after that would follow him no more. Why would they follow him no more? Because they couldn't grasp it. And they, they didn't want to go to that far in it. Now it was bringing persecution. Now they were ready to walk with him no more. But those 12, they stuck with him. And, and of course, that grew from there. So, again, he accepts the instruction, even if it makes it... Uh, rough for him, it becomes a rule of conduct in his life. Now, why would you do that? Love for God. Here are people, they're in their 20s and they're going to get married. They're single. Well, if he's lived by himself and she's lived by herself, they've gotten used to how they want to live life as far as how the house is set up, foods they eat and everything else. I mean, you know how many widows I've had say to me, I said, you're going to get remarried just enough time afterwards, you know what? I like getting up and eating what I want to eat, go when I want to go and do what I want to do, <laughs> you know? And, and I've actually had more women say that than men. Uh, and, of course, who's joking around about that? But nonetheless, what I'm saying is, is this, is there's a change. You leave mother and father. What? You were born. That was your family. You grew up in that family. That's mom and dad. You played with your brothers and sisters. Hey, that's family. But love says, I choose to love this person and have my full devotion to them. When there's an interference between family and my spouse, family is second. I still love them. That's what it means by hate your mother, father, even yourself. In other words, now that marriage is, is most important. Well, in being a disciple of Christ, your relationship with Jesus Christ is even more important than your family. That means that when your kids say, well, Dad, I don't want to go to church tonight, or they say, well, look, I want to go to that movie, or, oh, I want to go do this and do that. Uh, I don't see anything wrong with it. It doesn't matter if they see anything wrong with it. God does, and since he's first in your life, you do what God says. Well, hey, my little kids, they play baseball on, on Sunday because they're in the Little League, and we made a commitment. Oh, wow. You'll, you'll make a commitment to them, but you'll go back on your vow you made to God? And that relationship in which you're his disciple now? How idiotic is that? That's not even clear thinking. That's not intellectual thinking at all, let alone spiritual thinking. 
So let me say once again that uh, when you're coming to Jesus Christ, you're entering a relationship of love that's as strong and stronger than marriage. Okay? Whosoever doth not bear his cross, okay, you're making that decision, which means that you're going to have some crosses to carry. The Apostle Paul had it made until he got saved. That is, on this earth. But all the suffering that he ever suffered is not worthy to be compared to the glory that he's in now. But what I'm saying is, is that Christ was his all in all. That was an example of being a disciple. He says, does that mean I leave my husband, I leave my wife or whatever? No. Because the Lord also said to cleave. He put a leader in the home. When Eve was made to be a help me, you know what that means to help meet the goal? What was the goal? Serving God, tending the garden there, but whatever God wanted them to do. That's love. See, getting saved is built on love for God. Somebody who would actually come here and die for you. He who had no sin, knew no sin, died for you. Died for me that we might have everlasting life. That is love. And I don't have to earn it. I don't have to work for it. I don't have to work to keep it. I am in his hand. And so what does he say there? My sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That's secure. If he can create the heavens and the earth, he can keep me in that hand. Secure in him. Well, you don't know the sins I've committed. No, I don't. But you don't know the ones I've committed. Okay? So really, we're to stand off right at that point. My sins are worse than yours. Oh, I wouldn't brag about my sins are worse than yours. I would say this. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, the Bible says in Romans 5.20. Therefore, the great grace of God will save you if you'll come to him. He didn't say, I'm worthy to be saved. He let me know I wasn't worthy to be saved. That's why he came to pay the penalty so that I could be saved. And I receive him. And so Romans 10, 9, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord, that's his deity, Jesus, his humanity, God come in the flesh, that thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Wow. And when God says you will be, you will. For with the heart, man believes in salvation. The heart is your life. You're giving your heart to Christ because he gave his life for you. The heart man believes unto righteousness, the righteousness of Christ, not ours. But the heart man believes unto his righteousness. And because I'm in his hands, I'm accepted in the beloved. And with the mouth, confession is made in salvation. What do we do down here? A couple walks down to Al here, and I'm standing here with the book open. And I say, do you take this woman to be your lawful wedded wife? I do. Okay, get down and give me 30 push-ups. And when you get done there, I want you to go through, and I want you to sweep every under every pew. And, and those people do their fingernails during church and get them on the, on the pew, get that off, okay? And, and, and then do all these other things. No. That doesn't marry them. Give them their word to one another is what, what does it. Have you given your word to God? He'll keep you. 
Many marriages are still together, although maybe a spouse cheated, maybe something else happened, some bad things happened, maybe financial loss. So many things could happen in the marriage. But they're still together. And in like manner, he will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Hebrews 13, 5. You're his. So as his child, serve him. Be his disciple. Let his word govern your life. Because you're in a marital relationship with God. But if you're not sure if you died today, right now your father is the devil. What do you mean? The Bible said so. Because the payment bought us back from the day Adam fell. But you must receive it. Receiving it, you're saying, I am a sinner. I deserve to go to hell, but I believe that Jesus paid my penalty. And I'm receiving him as my Lord and Savior. And if that's your desire, then you come to him. So with all of that said, I want to sum this up into two things. As a Christian, choose to be his disciple. Let your life of conduct be according to the word of God. You're faithful to God's house, not just because you're trying to please the priest. You're faithful to God's house because it pleases God. It's in his word. You witness because it pleases God, not because it makes the people happy that you witness to. A lot of people, it doesn't. But you're his disciple. You're not ashamed of him. On the other hand, if you're not sure if you died in heaven's your home, that's the first thing you need to take care of right now. And we want to give you that opportunity. Let's bow our heads, please.